0: Chapter twelve of the Jewels of Aptor by Samuel R. Delaney. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter twelve The roughness of sand beneath one of his sides, and the flare of the sun on the other. His eyes were hot and his lids were orange over them. He turned over and reached out to dig his fingers into the sand only one hand closed then he remembered opening his eyes he rolled to his knees the sand grated under his kneecaps looking out toward the water he saw that the sun hung only seeming inches above the horizon then he saw the ship from its course he gathered it was heading toward the estuary of the river down the beach he began to run toward where the rocks and vegetation cut off the end of the beach. The sand under his feet was cool. A moment later, he saw Yemi's dark figure come from the jungle. He was heading for the same place. Geo hailed him, and, panting, they joined each other. Then, together, they continued toward the rocks. As they broke through the first sheet of foliage, they bumped into the red-haired girl who stood knuckling her eyes in the shadow of the broad palm fronds. When she recognized them, she joined them silently. Finally, they reached the outcropping of rock a few hundred feet up the river bank. The rain had swelled the river's mouth to tremendous violence. It vomited surges of brown water into the ocean, frothed against rocks, and boiled opaquely below them. It was nearly half again as wide as Geo remembered it, Although the sky was clear, beyond the brown bile of the river, the sea snarled viciously and bared white teeth in the sun. It took another fifteen minutes for the boat to maneuver through the granite spikes toward the rocky embankment a hundred yards away. Glancing down into the turbulence, Argo breathed. "Gee," But that was the only human sound against the water's roaring. The boat's prow doffed in the swell, and then at last her plank swung out and bumped unsteadily on the rocky bank. Figures were gathering on deck. "'Hey!' Argo said, pointing toward one. "'That's Sis. "'Where the hell a snake in on? Yimmy asked. "'That snake down there,' Geo said. "'Look!' He pointed with his nub. They could see Snake crouched near the gangplank itself. He was behind a ledge of rock, invisible to the people on the ship, apparently, but plain to Geo and his companions. "'Watch it,' Geo said. "'I'm going down there. You stay here.' He ducked off through the vines, keeping in sight of the rock's edge and the boiling foam. The ship grew before him, and at last he reached a sheltered rise just ten feet above the nest of rock in which the forearmed boy was crouching. Geo looked out at the boat. Jordy stood at the head of the gangplank. The eighteen feet board was unsteady with the roll of the ship. Jordy held something like a black whip in his hand, only the end went to a box-like contraption strapped to his back. With a lash raised, he stepped onto the shifting plank. wondered what the whip contrivance was the answer came with a hollow sound of snake's thoughts that is machine he used to cut tongue with only on whip now not wire so snake knew he was just behind him as he was trying to figure exactly the implications of what snake had said subtly with the speed of a bird shadow Snake leapt from his hiding place and landed on the shore end of the plank he recovered from his crouch and rushed down the plank toward Geordie, apparently intending to knock him from the board Geordie raised the lash and it fell across the boy's shoulder it didn't land hard it just dropped but snake suddenly reeled and went down on one knee grabbing the sides of the plank geo was close enough to hear the boy scream i cut your tongue out once with this thing geordie said matter-of-factly now i'm going to cut the rest of you to pieces he adjusted a control at his belt and raised the lash again geo leapt for the plank he faced geordie over the crouching boy he wondered how wise it had been then he had to stop wondering and try to duck the falling lash he couldn't it landed with only the weight of gravity brushing his cheek, then dropping across his shoulder and down his back. He screamed. The whole side of his face seemed seared away, and an inch crevice burned into his shoulder and back the length it touched him. He bit into white fire, trying not to leap aside into the foaming chasm between rocks and boat. As the lash rasped over his shoulder, sweat flooded his eyes. His good arm which held the edge of the plank, was shaking like a plucked string on a loose guitar. Snake lunged back against him, almost knocking him over. When Geo blinked the tears out of his eyes, he saw two bright welts over Snake's shoulder. He also saw that Geordie had stepped out upon the plank and was smiling. When the line fell again, he wasn't sure what happened. He leaned in one direction, and suddenly Snake was a dive of legs in the other. Now Snake was just four sets of fingers on the edge of the plank. Gia screamed again and shook. Two sets of fingers disappeared from one side of the board and reappeared on the other, as Geordi raised the lash a fourth time to rid the plank of this last one-armed nuisance. The fingers worked rapidly forward toward Geordi's feet, until suddenly an arm raised from beneath the plank grabbed Geordie's foot and tugged. The lash fell far from Geo, who was still trembling, trying to move backwards off the unsteady plank and keep from vomiting at the same time. Geordie tripped, but turned in time to grab the edge of the ship's gate and steady himself. At the same time, one leg, and then another, came up, the other side of the plank, and then Snake rolled into a crouching position on the board's top. Geo got his feet under him now and stumbled backwards off the plank, and then sat down hard a few feet back on the rocks. He clutched his good arm across his stomach and, without lowering his eyes, leaned forward to cool his back. "'Jordy, half-seated on the board now, lashed the whip sideways.' Snake leapt a foot from the plank as the line swung beneath his feet. All four arms went spidering out to regain equilibrium. The whip struck the side of the boat, left a burn along the hull, and came swinging back again. Snake leapt once more and made it. Suddenly there was a shadow over him, and Geo saw Urson stride up to the end of the plank. His back, to geo he crouched bear-like at the plank's head all right now try someone a little bigger than you come on kid get off there i want my turn urson's sword was drawn snake turned grabbed at something on urson but the big man knocked him away as he leapt diagonally onto the shore urson laughed over his shoulder huh you don't want the ones around my neck he called back Here keep these for me.' He tossed the leather purse from his belt back to the shore. Snake landed just as Jordy flung the lash out again. Urson must have caught the line across his chest, because they saw his back suddenly stiffen. Then he leapt forward and came down with his sword so hard that had Jordy still been there, his leg would have come off. Jordy leapt back, onto the edge of the ship and the sword sliced 3 inches into the plank as urson tried to pull the blade out once more Geordie sent his whip singing again it wrapped urson's midsection like a black serpent and didn't come loose urson howled he flung his sword forward which probably only by accident thwunked 17 inches through Geordie's abdomen he bent forward, grabbed the line with both hands, and tugged backwards, screaming. Geordie took two steps onto the plank, his mouth open, his eyes closed, and fell over the side. Urson heaved backwards and toppled from the other side. For a moment, they hung with the whip between them over the board. The ship heaved, rolled to. The plank swiveled, came loose, and with the board on top of them, they crashed, into the water geo and snake were at the rock's edge iimmi and argo were coming up behind them below them limbs and board bobbed through the foam once the line had somehow looped around urson's neck and the plank had turned up almost on end then they went under again with nothing between it and the rock wall of shore the boat began to roll in with each swell it came in six feet, then leaned out three. Then it came back another six. It took four swells, the time of four very deep breaths, until the side of the boat was grating up against the rocks. Geo could hear the plank splintering down in the water, but the sound of the water blanketed anything else that was breaking down there. Geo took two steps backwards, clutched at his stubbed arm, and threw up somebody the captain was calling get her away from the rocks away from the rocks before she goes to pieces Yemi took geo's arm come on boy he said and managed to haul him onto the ship argo and snake leapt on behind them as the boat floundered away from the shore geo leaned against the rail below him the water turned on itself in the rocks, thrashed along the river's side, and then, as he raised his eyes, stretched out along the bright blade of the beach. The long sand that rimmed the island dropped away from them, a stately and austere arc gathering in its curve all the sun's glare, and throwing it back on wave and on wave. His back hurt, his stomach was shriveled and shaken like an old man's palsied fist his arm was gone and urson and then argo said look at the beach geo flung his eyes up and tried in one moment to envelop whatever he saw whatever it would be beneath the roar was a tide of quiet the sand along the naked crescent was dull at depressions mirror bright at rises at the jungle's edge leaves and fronds sped multi-textured rippling along the foliage each single fragment in that green carpet hung up in the sun was one leaf he reflected with two sides and an entire system of skeleton and veins as his hand and arm had been and maybe one day would drop off too he looked from rock to rock now each was different shaped and lined distinctly but losing detail as the ship floated out as the memory of his entire adventure was losing detail that one there was like a bull's head half submerged those two flat ones together on the sand looked like the stretched wings of eagles the waves measured and magnificent followed one another onto the sand like the varying, never-duplicated rhythm of a good poem, peaceful, ordered, and calm. He tried to pour the chaos of urson, drowning from his mind onto the water. It flowed into each glass-green wave's trough in which it rode, suddenly quiet, up to the beach. He spread the pain in his own body over the web of foam and green shimmering, and was surprised because it fit easily, hung there well, quieted, very much quieted. Somewhere at the foot of his brain, an understanding was beginning to effloresce with the sea's water under the sun. Geo turned away from the rail, and with the wet deck slipping under his bare feet, he walked toward the forecastle. He released his broken limb and his hand, hung at his side. When Snake came down that evening, Geo was lying on his back in the bunk, following the grain of the wood on the bottom of the bed above his. He had his good arm behind his neck now. Snake touched his shoulder. "'What is it?' Geo asked, turning on his side and sitting out from under the bunk. Snake held out the leather purse to Geo. "'Huh?' Geo asked. Didn't you give them to Argo yet? Snake nodded. Well, why didn't you take them? Look, I don't want to see them again. Snake pushed the purse toward him again and added. Look. Geo took the purse, opened the drawstring, and turned the contents out in his hand. There were three chains, on each of which was a gold coin, fastened by a hole near the edge. Geo frowned. "'How come these are in here?' he asked. "'I thought. Where are the jewels?' "'In ocean,' Snake said. "'Urson switched them.' "'What are you talking about?' demanded Geo. "'What is? What is it?' "'Don't want tell you.' "'I don't care what you want, you little thief.' Geo grabbed him by his shoulder. Tell me! Knew from back with blind priestesses, Snake explained rapidly. He asked me how to use jewels when you and Yemi, exploring, and after that no listen to thoughts, bad thoughts, bad. But he, Geo started, he saved your life. But what is reason? "'Snake said, at end.' "'You saw his thoughts at the end,' asked Gio. "'What did he think?' "'You sleep, please,' Snake said. "'Lot of hate, lot of bad hate.' "'There was a pause in the voice in his head. "'And love.' "'Gio began to cry. "'A bubble of sound in the back of his throat burst.' and he turned onto the pillow and tried to bite through the sound with his teeth. The tiredness, the fear, for Urson for his arm, and the change which hurt. His whole body ached, his back hurt in two sharp lines, and he couldn't stop crying. Yemi, who had now decided to take the bunk above Geo, came back a few minutes after Mass. Geo had just awakened. Geo laughed. I found out what it was we saw on the beach that made us so dangerous. How? asked Yemi. When? What was it? Same time you did, Geo said. I just looked, and then Snake explained the details of it to me later. When? Yemi repeated. I just took a nap, and he went through the whole thing with me. "'Then what was it you saw, we saw?' "'Well, first of all, do you remember what Geordi was before he was shipwrecked on Aptor?' "'Didn't Argo say he was studying to be a priest? "'Old Argo, I mean.' "'Right,' said Geo. "'Now, do you remember what my theory was about what we saw?' "'Did you have a theory?' Yemi asked about horror and pain making you receptive to whatever it was. "'Oh, that,' Yemi said. "'I remember. Yes.' "'I was also right about that. Now add to all this some theory from Hama's lecture on the double impulse of life. It wasn't a thing we saw. It was a situation, or rather an experience we had. Also, it didn't have to be on the beach.' it could have happened anywhere. Man and his constantly diametric motivations is always trying to reconcile opposites. In fact, you can say that an action is a reconciliation of the duality of his motivation. Now, take all that we've been through, the confusion, the pain, the disorder, then reconcile that with the great order obvious in something like the sea, with its rhythm, its tides and waves, its overpowering calm, or the ordering of cells in a leaf or a constellation of stars. If you can do it, something happens to you. You grow. You become a bigger person, able to understand or reconcile more. All right, said Yimmy. And that's what we saw or the experience we had when we looked at the beach from the ship this morning chaos caught in order the order defining chaos all right again iimmi said and i'll even assume that geordie knew that the two impulses of this experience were one something terrible and confused like seeing ten men hacked to pieces by vampires or seeing a film of a little boy getting his tongue pulled out, or coming, through what we came through since we landed on Aptol. And, two, something calm and ordered, like the beach and the sea. Now, why would he want to kill someone, simply because they might have gone through what amounts, I guess, to the basic religious experience? You picked just the right word, Geo smiled. Now, Jordy was a novice in the not-too-liberal religion of Argo. Jordy and Snake had been through nearly as much on Aptor as we had, and they survived. And they also emerged from that jungle of horror onto that great arcing rhythm of waves and sand. And they went through just what you and I and Argo went through. Little Argo, I mean. And it was just at that point when the blind priestesses of Argo made contact with Geordi. They did so by means of those vision screens we saw them with, which can receive sound and pictures from just about any place, but can also project at least sound to just about anywhere too. In other words, right in the middle of this religious, or mystic, or whatever you want to call it, experience, a voice materialized out of thin air that claimed to be the voice of the goddess. Have you any idea what this did to his mind? I imagine it took all the real significance out of the whole thing, Yemi said. It would for me. It did, said Gio. Geordie wasn't what you'd call stable before that. If anything, this made him more so. It also stopped his mental functioning from working in the normal way, and Snake, who was reading his mind at the time, suddenly saw himself watching the terrifying sealing-up process of an active and competent, if not healthy, mind. He saw it again in Urson. It's apparently a pretty stiff thing to watch. That's why he stopped reading Urson's thoughts. The idea of stealing the jewels for himself was slowly eating away urson's balance the understanding the ability to reconcile disparities like the incident with the blue lizard things like that all of which were signs we didn't get snake contacted hama by telepathy almost accidentally and hama was something to hold on to for the boy still why did Jordy want to kill anybody who had experienced this voice of God and all. Because Geordi had by now managed to do what a static mind always does. The situation, the beach, the whole thing suddenly meant for him the revelation of a concrete God. Now he knew that Snake had contacted something also, something which the blind priestesses told him was thoroughly evil, an enemy, a devil. On the raft on the boat he religiously tried to convert snake till at last in evangelical fury he cut the boy's tongue out with the electric generator and the hot wire which the blind priestesses had given him before he left why did he want to get rid of anybody who had seen his beach a sacred place to him by now one because the devils were too strong and he didn't want anybody else possessed by them. Snake had been too much trouble resisting conversion, and, two, because he was jealous that someone else might have that moment of exultation and hear the voice of the goddess also. "'In other words,' summarized Yemi, "'he thought what happened to him and Snake was something supernatural, actually connected with the beach itself, and didn't want it to happen to anybody else. That's right, said Geo, lying back in his bunk, which is sort of understandable. They didn't come in contact with any of the technology of Aptor, and so it might well have seemed that way. Yemi leaned back also. Yeah, he said. I can see how the same thing almost almost might have happened to me if everything had been the same geo closed his eyes snake came down and took the top bunk and when he slept snake told him of urson of his last thoughts and surprisingly things he mostly knew emerging from the forecastle the next morning he felt bright sunlight slice across his face he had to squint and when he did so he saw her sitting cross-legged on the stretched canvas topping of a suspended lifeboat. "'Hi up there,' he called. "'Hello,' she called down. "'How are you feeling?' Geo shrugged. Argo slipped her feet over the gunwale and, with paper bag in hand, dropped to the deck. She bobbed up next to his shoulder, grinned, and said, "'Hey, come on back with me. I want to show you something.' sure he followed her suddenly she looked serious your arm is worrying you why geo shrugged you don't feel like a whole person i guess you're not really a whole person don't be silly said argo besides maybe snake will let you have one of his how are the medical facilities in leptar I don't think they're up to anything like that. We did grafting of limbs back in Aptor, Argo said. A most interesting way we got around the antibody problem, too. You see— But that was back in Aptor, Geo said. This is the real world we're going into now. Maybe I can get a doctor from the temple to come over, she shrugged, and then— Maybe I won't be able to. It's a pleasant thought, Gio said. When they reached the back of the ship, Argo took out a contraption from the paper bag. I salvaged this in my tunic. Hope it dried off well enough last night. It's your motor, Gio said. "Mm Mm-hmm, said Argo. She put it on a low set of lockers by the cabin's back wall. How are you going to work it? He asked. It's got to have that stuff. Electricity. There is more than one way to shoe a centipede, Argo assured him. She reached behind the locker and pulled up a strange gizmo of glass and wire. I got the lens from Sis, she explained. She's awfully nice, really. She says I can have my own laboratory all to myself. And I said... She could have all the politics, which I think was wise of me, considering. Don't you? She bent over the contraption. Now, this lens here focuses the sunlight. Isn't it a beautiful day? On these thermocouples. I got the extra metal from the ship's smith. He's sweet. Hey, we're going to have to compare palms from now on. I mean, I'm sure you're going to write a whole handful about all of this. I certainly am. Anyway, you connect it up here. She fastened two wires to two other wires, adjusted the lens, and the tips of the thermocouple glowed red. The armature tugged once around its pivot and then tugged around once more. Geo glanced up and saw Snake and Yemi standing above them, looking over the rail on the cabin's roof. They grinned at each other, and then Geo looked back at the motor. It whipped around steadily, gaining speed until it whirred into an invisible copper haze. Look at that thing go, breathed Argo. Will you just look at that thing? Go! End of Chapter 12 End of The Jewels of Aptor by Samuel R. Delaney